now with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Okay, well, good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon, one and all, wherever you are in the world at this time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. Very excited to be with you here today and every Friday at 3 p.m. this time or noon Pacific Standard Time. Welcome to the month of December. Oh my gosh, where is the time going? It's just uh, it's just moving on, whether or not we are ready for it, that's for sure. But uh, here we are, December 3rd, unbelievable, and we are a week out from Thanksgiving. And um, yeah, I just think most people have recovered and uh, out either busy shopping or making plans or getting things in preparation for the month of December. Um, and uh, just a quick shout out to my friends who are celebrating Hanukkah and wishing everybody just a safe and happy and continuous Hanukkah celebration. And so, um, yeah, just uh, good to be with you here today. Um, just wanted to remind people who may be tuning in for the very first time that, uh, in case you're wondering what reclaiming authenticity is all about, it's uh, basically, you know, each and every week, uh, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and mental health. And I do this, uh, I place, you know, this integration all within the context of our relationships, you know, who we are to ourselves, uh, who we are with one another, and who are we in our relationships with God or the divine. I am Dr. James Houck, and in case you want to have more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's show, I invite you to visit the website. It's www.bbsradio.com backslash reclaiming authenticity. That is all one word there. And if you would like to call in, the number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. So if you'd like to call in and be part of the show or have a question or a comment about today's broadcast, um, that is most, most welcome. And uh, in case you cannot spend the entire hour um, with me today, that's fine, uh, because these broadcasts are podcasted. In case you want to go back and listen again, or if you, even if you want to, you may go back into the archives and listen to previous shows. And then still visit the website website and drop me a line and your comments and so forth. But um, I just wanted to take this time before I get into the show just to thank everybody for their continued support over this year. And just like to say that you have the opportunity to continue your support by becoming a monthly subscriber. Now, a subscription is not required to listen to my talk shows, but it is greatly appreciated. So again, all you have to do is visit the website, uh, www.bbsradio.com backslash reclaiming authenticity, and then look 
for the banner that says subscription. Click on it and, again, read more about what the subscriptions cover and uh, choose any amount that you feel comfortable getting. And so, again, thank you, everybody, for supporting me. And um, getting back to uh, one of my firm beliefs, again, explaining a little bit more about what reclaiming authenticity is all about, um, I'd just like to, to share uh, that uh, I have a very solid belief that I believe started out in childhood, and it just seemed to grow and grow and grow as I got older. And it is the belief that all of us come into the world already equipped and graced with everything we need for this life in terms of, let's say, our skills or our talents, our strengths. Um, let's also call it our giftedness or character traits. And, uh, and how we live out our giftedness is in and through various relationships. So again, it, it all comes back to the relationships that we have in our, uh, our, in our lives. And uh, again, ironically, as I was, you know, um, you know, much younger and, and I guess formulating uh, this belief, allowing it to solidify in my life, uh, I began to see just a depth to uh, an irony, a great irony in life. Because when you really sit and think about it, um, how often do we receive our deepest physical, emotional, psychological, even spiritual wounds in and through relationships? And yet we often go along in life and maybe due to some unpleasant experiences, we may feel that we need to hide that giftedness, that uniqueness, you know, what's special about ourselves. Um, or we may push our giftedness way down so that others cannot see it and we tend to forget that we have that particular skill or that talent or that character trait. That is a real asset for us. Or maybe, um, you know, growing up, we were told that we would never amount to anything or whatever other voice we heard telling us that there's really nothing special to us. And uh, we have to consider the source on comments such as that, you know, just, you know, not from where those, those comments came, but from rather from whom those comments came. You know, are they people who are still um, have yet to heal from their own wounds and so forth? So, again, as I talk to people and they bring up like, well, I was always told by so-and-so that I would never amount to anything. And it's like, okay, let's stop right there and let's examine that question uh, or that or that statement, I should say. And how they bought into it all these years and the relationships that they developed as a result of thinking that there was nothing special to them. And yet, you know, here, here's the ironic part in our lives that, you know, as much as we can experience our deepest wounds in relationships, we can also discover our greatest healing and strength, peace, forgiveness and love through healthier relationships. You know, and these relationships just might be within our own families. We don't have to look too far. Right? It just might be with coworkers and friends. But all in all, you know, we seek healing. We seek transformation. And whenever we are transformed, whenever we are growing and healing from those wounds in and in, in, in through healthier relationships, 
we can also transform others by the quality now of our presence and our grace and our understanding. You know, but first, you know, when it comes to ourselves, you know, forgiveness, kindness, and compassion um, really does begin with how we treat ourselves. Because I've heard many times that people would say, hey, I could, I can bend over backwards and be understanding with somebody else. And, and I know where they're coming from. And I, you know, and I was like, okay, well then how understanding are you with you? You know, how patient are you with yourself, even if you you know, catch yourself making those same mistakes over and over again. Because whenever we are compassionate with ourselves, it I believe wholeheartedly that we can truly be more compassion more compassionate with others. And when we are more forgiving with ourselves, we can then be more forgiving with others. You know, it brings in that understanding. It brings in that patience. It brings in this, yeah, let's not rush to judgment. And that can apply to ourselves, and that can certainly apply um, in our relationships to others. And certainly, when we have this kind of an awareness, um, I find that we are able to live in gratitude with ourselves. Uh, and we certainly discover then how this opens up our hearts to see and live in gratitude with others. It just naturally opens our hearts. It just naturally flows. So first and foremost, you know, transformation does begin with us. Well, how is your heart today, this December 3rd? I, I hope that you all had a pleasant Thanksgiving, and for those I had not talked to, and uh, I, I hope that your week has been going well for you, and I hope your heart is well. And uh, my prayer is that uh, even if you are struggling today, um, I hope that you will find the rest and the comfort and the peace that you need in this moment. Well, speaking of how and why we may have pushed our giftedness way down inside of us so that others cannot see it, or even believing those messages of being told that we would never amount to anything, or whatever you know, other voice we heard telling us there's nothing special to us. Today's show continues the focus on what we started last week. You know, it focuses on the illusion of these negative beliefs that convince us, you know, that, that we are continually tied to, um, let's say, self-loathing or self-defeating, even learned helplessness behaviors. And if you were with me last um, last Friday, or you can go back into the archives and listen to the show, um, that's also you know I invite you to do that. But it was a it was a show that focused on the washerman and the donkey, and uh, this was a nice little story that uh, my India friends have told me, and we had great discussions as a result. And it's all about uh, superimposition and deimposition. And here, as we often believe that we are tied to the tree, much in the same way that the washerman who forgot to bring rope went through the motions of making the donkey believe he was tied to the tree. And the donkey stayed there all day long. I'm just the donkey believed it. So, okay. And then when it was time to leave, he, the washerman had to, you know, let the donkey see him pretend to untie him from the tree. And then the donkey's like, oh, okay, I'm free. You know, and that, that 
brought us to the realization of how often we do that in our lives. How often do we tie ourselves to illusions or being told lies, you know, and thinking that like, okay, I can't do anything because I'm tied to this tree or I can't do anything because I'm tied to what people have always told me about my my life, you know, that there's nothing special to me. Or, you know, there might be, I feel like I'm tied to self-loathing beliefs or self-defeating behaviors, even learned helplessness. Um, but these are all illusions. You know, these are things that we are made to believe. If only we would just discover that we're not tied to those to that tree. We're not tied to these beliefs. Okay, so this uh, message today picks up on that and uh, really looks at uh, just a nice little story. Actually, it's a, like a part two in a series here that I'm doing that uh, really opens up our understanding of to exactly what is truth and how do we recognize it. Okay, so let's begin with something fun. Now, um, just a show of hands out there in the studio audience, uh, have you ever had a dream in which you felt so real that, you know, you just spent the rest of the waking day questioning whether or not it was true? Okay, I'll give you a second. All right, I'm sure we all have. You know, we've had those dreams that are just so vivid that it's just like, wow. <laughs> and we just, you know, we're at work the next day or wherever, and we're just thinking about this dream, okay? And it, it could be something wonderful that occurred in the dream, or it may have even been a nightmare. You know, maybe you were startled out of your sleep, you know, with your heart pounding, you were sweaty, you were out of breath, and at any rate, the dream was so real that you reached out and you touched it. And the people I talk to about their dreams definitely feel that way. They just say they can't believe it. It was as if it was right there. Well, ironically, in, in counseling therapy, we don't question whether or not an event or a dream felt real, but it is the person's experience of that event is what really matters the most. Uh, in other words, regardless of whether a person's perception was real or imagined, their amount of distress and or impairment is what really matters. I mean, that's what we need, really need to focus on, like what it was upsetting about the dream to the person or what was exciting about the dream to uh, uh, you know somebody else. Well, I wanted to share with you a story that, as I said, has been told to me from my India friends about a king who had a distressing dream that made him question, was that true or is this true? And ironically, the answer he received was a far more valuable lesson than what he was expecting. Well, Let's begin. In India, there was a king named Yannick. And as a king, he was very, very brave, but he was also interested in philosophy. In fact, he prized himself on being a great philosopher as well as a great ruler. And um, uh, once he had finished uh, all of his day's work, he slept soundly in his palace room at night. And <clears throat> excuse me. And in the middle of the night, a soldier woke him up 
and told him that his enemy had been attacked by a large army. Okay, and the king immediately got up and he too prepared his army with the right instructions. And there was a fierce battle between these two armies. And King Yannick and his soldiers fought valiantly. But unfortunately, Yannick was defeated in battle. And the enemy captured all of the king's kingdoms and humiliated the king and ordered him to leave. Uh, and he basically was exiled. Now, it, many, many, many days had passed. And, uh, you know, he's going from town to town, you know, just hungry and tired and so forth. And he was just wandering around in a state of exhaustion and injury and annoyance. And he, he just like, how could this happen? And, you know, interestingly, he couldn't get any food from any house throughout the region because, um, you know, the people knew who he was and that he had been exiled from his land in the state. And everybody was rejecting him. You know, in the kingdom, you know, of which he was once king, not one person fed him. And... um you know, people basically believe that this new king was very cruel. And and if he understands that, you know, we fed you, well, it's going to bring disaster on us. So overcome with hunger, the king wandered out of his kingdom. And at one point he ran into a, a, a food kitchen. But there was a long line of hungry people. And so King Kyanek also went and he stood in that line. But by the time he got to the front, the food ran out and, you know, and it was just like, well, okay, you called my number. I'm, you know, fill my bowl. And like, well, sorry, sir, there is nothing left. And he was hungry. And of course he became very anxious, very upset. And the King just begged, you know, the servers to give him whatever was left. Even if you give me the food at the bottom of the pot, that's fine with me. Well, according to his wishes, all the food at the bottom of the pots, you know, were collected in a bowl <clears throat> and given to the king. And just as the king was about to take the bowl into his hand and put it in his mouth, a crow flew down and struck him. And the bowl fell to the ground and spilled all of the food. And now seeing this, the king was completely overcome. He was just completely devastated. And he too falls to the ground. And in that moment, the king woke up in his palace room and he sat up in bed. What just happened? The king asked himself. Was it a dream or was it something else? Now, if it was just anybody else, we would have probably ignored it, assuming that it was a dream. And it's like, well, thank goodness it was just a dream. And then we would try to go back to sleep. But as I said, King Yannick was a philosopher, so he had more doubts. And so he continued on. If, if this was a dream, then what is it now? Was that a dream or is this a dream that I'm now sitting here in the palace? Was that true or is this true? Well, when the king woke up, everybody in the palace gathered around him because they, they heard him just, you know, talking to himself out loud. Like, is this true or is that true? Um, but the king began to ask everyone who appeared, you, you know, um, 
just with this same question, you know, and everybody just thought he was just utterly confused. Was that true or is this true? And quite frankly, nobody understood what what the king meant by this. And his, his queen comes running in, you know, and like, what's the matter? What's the matter? And the king said the same thing to her. Is this true or is that true? And she began to worry about what really is going on with the king. And so the next day, when the court was in full session, the king asked the same thing with all who were gathered there. You know, was that true or is this true? And again, nobody understood what the king was talking about. And unfortunately, uh, work that day stopped. The court was dismissed. Uh, the news spread all over the state that the king has now lost his mind. Uh, but, you know, doctors were sent in and so forth, and, and nobody could just make sense of what the king was saying. Now, in the same kingdom lived a friend of the king who just so happened to be a wise sage. Uh, the two used to discuss uh, Vedanta philosophy and other topics, you know, just as friends get together and they go back and forth and everything and uh, see who has the upper hand, you know, philosophically and so forth. And this sage heard that his friend was not well, and he went to see him. And he asked the king, uh, your majesty, what happened? And the king explained the whole story. And then at the end, he said, was that true or is this true? Well, the sage intuitively recognized what had happened. And he answered his friend accordingly. He said, your majesty, neither this is true nor that is true. But his answer confuse the king even more. And the king asked, well, how can that be? Something has to be true, right? You know, then the sage asked the king, well, that war that went on, that defeat of yours, you know, your condition, your hunger, when you were denied food, you know, by your people, you wandering around in search of food, falling to the ground, etc. Does all of that exist here right now? And the king said, no. And the sage asked him again. He goes, okay, well, what is here now in your palace? Your, your servants, your, you know, um, your ministers, your commanders, your queen, your kingdom, and so on. Did all of that exist there in what you call a dream? And the king replied, no, it wasn't there. And then the sage said, that is why neither this is true, nor that is true. And then the king just couldn't take it anymore, and he just asked, but then what is truth? If neither this is true, nor that is true, does that mean that there is no truth in this world? Well, the sage smiled and said, your majesty, you are the truth. The king looked back in confusion, and the sage said, O king, do you see what you are seeing now or what you are experiencing now? Also, you were experiencing everything that happened in those dreams, weren't you? This is not true, and that was not true either, but you are the one who experiences both, and therefore you are the truth, and in everything else, you are the witness. 
Well, this concept of we, you know, being the witness of everything is often difficult to grasp because the explanations can be quite abstract and uh, just just difficult to wrap your head around, you know. But um, I understand being a witness has to do with our presence in in all situations and things. Okay, so. Um, you know, let, let's ask ourselves some questions. You know, who are we when we are awake and engaged in the world, whether it be at work or play? You know, who are we? Who are we when we are sleeping and unconscious or we're at fully at rest? Who are we when we are dreaming and our minds seem to take us on a journey of fantasies, of hopes, or fears? The answer is quite simply, it doesn't matter about the context, because we are the truth. We are present during all three. Okay. Let's let's think about it another way here. You know, Christmas is coming, right? And if you're like me, you're thinking about presents that you would like to get for loved ones, okay? Perhaps you braved the crowds on Black Friday and you spent some time shopping on Cyber Monday. And if you haven't started, well, you might want to think about getting started, okay? So at any rate, jewelry is often given in one form or another for Christmas presents, okay? Who doesn't like jewelry? And jewelry comes in all shapes and sizes. But let's say for the sake of this analogy that we are out shopping and we found a necklace, a bangle, and a ring, all made of gold, okay? And now, quite simply, gold can be melted down and fashioned into a ring to be worn on a finger, or gold can be melted down and made into a chain that can be worn around the neck. And gold can even be made into a bangle to be worn on the wrist. Now, the names of the jewelry are different. We call it a ring or a necklace or a bangle. But they're all made out of the same material, that is, gold. And yet, without the gold, they don't exist. There is no necklace, no ring, no bangle. So returning to the story of the king and his question of whether is this true or is that true, we can say that all three pieces of jewelry are not true because with the gold, each jewelry can be shaped and designed into its unique form. But it's the gold that each piece have in common, you know, not the form or purpose or even how the jewelry is worn is what matters. What only matters is the gold. Okay, that is the that is the truth. So whether it is us who are awake or sleeping or dreaming, again, we are the truth. We remain the same. We don't change. We remain consistent in all three states. And therefore it was wise for the sage to say to his friend, the king, that, yes, your majesty, you are the truth. So what does this have to deal, what does this have to do with us? Why is this such a big deal? Why is it so important for us to know ourselves as the one constant, the one truth 
in a world of constant changes? Well, the answer quite simply is that because we lose sight of who we are, and we often identify with the form, that is the body and the mind, as the end-all, be-all of our existence. In other words, we, we end up settling for an illusion that tells us there's, there's nothing to us apart from what we see and hear and think and smell and taste and touch. Or we end up settling for the perceptions that we are limited because others think we are or, you know, what they would like us to be for them. You know, the dreams we have can be so vivid at times that we can reach out and experience the intensity of the dream and wish that could be our lives. And, you know, perhaps our daily experiences are also so intense that we often might look forward to dreaming so that we can escape the realities of the day. But at any rate, it doesn't matter what state we're in, whether we're dreaming or we're, or we're awake, we are the truth, or we are the conscious awareness in every changing state. And these states, no matter how often they change, can in no way sum up for us who we truly are as vast and limitless souls. In fact, the more we grasp this awareness and integrate ourselves as truth and look within to discover who we truly are, the less we're going to get caught up in the illusions of life that leave us empty and dissatisfied and frustrated every time. And that's why this story of, is this true or is that true, relevant and necessary for our lives? Because there is so much more to us than even what we realize today. Well, I would really love to hear what's on your heart about this subject. So again, if you would like to call in, the number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And as I said, I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Halk. Be back with you in one minute.
Okay, welcome back. I am Dr. James Houck, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Again, I just want to share with you just a quick word about next week's show. It's going to be a continuation of this theme of uh, the truth of who we are. And I'm going to tell you yet another story that's in a series here. Uh, uh, but next week, the story, or I should say the, the title of it, is The 10th Person, Making Sure Everybody has crossed the river, okay? Making sure everybody has crossed that river. And it's going to help us realize, you know, we are consciousness, okay? And it's a, just a unique twist in that that uh, story. So I invite you to tune in next Friday, December 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Well, earlier in the show, I was talking about King uh, Janik and his sage and how the king one night had a very disturbing dream, which upon wakening, he kept asking, is that true or is this true? And nobody could understand what the king meant by this question. Is that true or is this true? And one day, a sage who was friends with the king heard that his friend was not doing so well, and he went to see him. And he asked the king, you know, sire, what happened? And the king explained the whole story, and then he said, was that true or is this true? And uh, the sage knew what was going on. He just immediately, he understood the question, what the, the king was getting at. And, um, you know, he answered his friend, uh, well, your majesty, neither this is true, nor that is true, which this just confused the king even more. And the king just kind of blurted out after that. It's like, well, how can this be true? You know, something of this you know, has to be true. You know, it just, it has to be, right? And then this, the sage just went into just wonderful, wonderful teaching here. And he asked the king that everything that you experienced in your dream, does it at all exist here now? And the king said, no, it was, it was a dream. Okay. No, it's not here right now. And then the sage asked him again. Okay. Also, um, the things that are around you now in your palace, your your servants, your uh, uh, courtiers, your ministers, your commanders, your queen, your kingdom, and so forth, did all of that exist there in what you call a dream? And the king replied, no, none of it was there. And then the king said, well, that is why, your majesty, neither this is true nor that is true. And again, that um, kind of an explanation didn't sit well with the king because, you know, the king, like, he, he needed to know. And he's like, well, then, then what is truth? You know, if this is, you know, if neither this is true nor that is true, does that mean that there is no truth in this world? And the sage smiled and said, oh, your majesty, you are the truth. You know, and the king looked confused. He still wasn't getting the lesson here. And the sage said, uh, oh, king, do you see what you are seeing now or what you are experiencing now? You know, also, you were experiencing everything that happened in, in the dream, weren't, didn't you? You know, this is not true, and that was not true either. But you are the one who experiences both. You are the one who experiences or is experiencing the waking moment here and now, and you are the one experiencing the dream. So 
because of that, you are the truth. And in everything else, you are the witness. Okay. And um, this is where we come into the story. This is my favorite part of it. You know, the, like the moral of the story. Uh, because for us, this story points to the fact that like King Janik, we too can find our truth regardless of what circumstances or experiences we are in. In other words, we can lose sight of who we are and we just overly identify with our form. You know, the body and the mind as, uh, okay, you know, this is my end-all be-all of, of my existence, that after I die, that's it, you know? Um, in fact, the more we grasp this awareness, uh, you know, and integrate ourselves as truth, as the one constant in all things, and we look within to discover who we truly are, the less we will get caught up in these illusions of life that, you know, we, we run after because they sound good or we search after because, well, we were told and, um, you know, we just, we realize that, uh, you know, in running after these illusions, they're going to leave us empty. You know, they're going to leave us dissatisfied. They're even going to leave us frustrated and maybe even alone every time because we're chasing after illusions, which continually shift and change and go here and there and so forth. But we remain the same, but yet we never look within. And this is why the story of is this true or that true relevant and necessary for our lives? Because certainly there is so much more to us than even what we have realized today. Every decision in our life, every choice that we've made has brought us to this very moment. I mean, don't think it's an accident that you just kind of, you know, stumbled on this program. You know, you made a decision somewhere, you know, in, in the past or even past 10 seconds that, boom, here we are. We're sharing this time together. Okay. And uh, some of, you know, our other decisions can be even more powerful, you know, and, and just have grand ramifications. Uh, but we may not know it at the time, but every decision we've made, even the not so popular decisions, even what we might consider a wrong decision. Was it wrong if it all worked out and brought us to this moment in our lives? that at some point invokes in us a sense of gratitude because we, we learned a valuable lesson about ourselves? Yeah. We are the truth. We are the constant. Circumstances are just circumstances. You know, one of the most difficult questions that we can ask ourselves in this life is, who am I? Who am I? Who are you? Who am I? Now, developmentally speaking, we tend to ask this question about ourselves twice in our lives. Once when we're about five, maybe even, you know, four, five, six years old, somewhere around there. Uh, we ask this question, who am I? As it relates to trying to understand ourselves as boys and girls. Okay, like, like, who am I? I have feet, I have hands, or, or, you know, or whatever. You know, I'm a boy, 
because I have this and you are a girl because you have that. And, you know, this is typically what boys do and this is typically what girls do and, you know, so on and so forth. Okay. We're, we're trying to figure it out. This is all like exploring. This is all like, uh, what, you know, what, what's this, you know, all about. But the second time we typically ask this question of who am I? is when we are ready to be on our own. Somewhere 18, 19, 21, all the way up to maybe 25, 26 years old, okay? And we're at a place in our lives where we're deciding how we want to live our lives. We've been raised with certain morals or values and lessons, and we ask, well, who am I? And we we try to determine which of the morals and values and lessons that we were raised with, out of those, which ones do we want to keep and which ones do we want to get rid of and which new values and morals we may want to take on. But in asking this question of who am I, we often run the risk of keeping both the question and the answer on a superficial level. And by that I mean we often want to know who we are so we can make the right career path. Or, you know, we want to know who we are, you know, so we can choose the right partner in life. Or we want to know who we are so, uh, you know, we know how to play the game of life correctly in order to make lots of money. Now, nothing wrong with planning and preparation, but these endeavors don't even come close in helping us find answers to who am I. If anything, they get to be part of this illusion or these illusions because we believe they define a, you know, what's needed for a well-lived life. But in the end, they're going to leave us empty and dissatisfied and frustrated because it doesn't get to the heart of the matter. Instead, our understanding ourselves as truth and in, in being a vast and limitless soul fulfills everything we have been searching for in this life. Okay. How do you know what truth is for you? Where, where does truth connect in you? Where does truth resonate in you? You know, I have my own way of, uh, I'll say, truth detecting. And, and that is, you know, in my gut. My, you know, I just kind of go with my gut, as a lot of people are fond of saying. And, uh, you know, they just say, well, I trust my gut. I'll just, I'll just do that. And um, my mother, you know, she used to drive me crazy because she would say, well, you know, I have complete peace of mind about this. Everything's going to work out about, you know. And she would just use that one line about everything. Like I say, used to drive me crazy as a young boy. And, and that was because I never understood exactly what she meant by it. But I think as I looked at my reaction to what she was saying, you know, more importantly, I really wanted her to be as upset about something as much as I was, you know, it's like, mom, do you want to get, you know, you want to get a little upset about this? You want to, you know, no, I have complete peace of mind. Everything's going to work out, you know, you know, but to her credit, 
you know, she never allowed anybody to get her upset because they were upset. You know, she never did because she refused to focus on the externals and the situations, but always looked beyond the immediate in order to focus on the eternal. So for me, whenever, you know, nowadays I'm confronted with discerning truth in my life, I begin recognizing how uh, a statement feels in, in my core, my soul, my gut. You know, first thing I, I typically I tell myself out loud, okay, an utter absurd lie, okay, a total untruth, okay. Let's let's just make something up here. Like, uh, yes, uh, uh, you know, Jim Houck and I climbed Mount Everest, and then I listen, or I should say that I wait for the feeling. And I recognize a, a feeling that goes along with that lie. I never climbed Mount Everest, please. Okay. But I know that that's a lie because of how it doesn't connect in me. I know what it, what it feels like when something doesn't resonate in me. And then I tell myself something true about myself. And then I listen and wait for the feeling. Okay. So I can tell myself the truth out loud, like... Yes, I climbed the mountain where Babaji's cave was, is. Yeah, and I, and I, again, I listen and I wait for the feeling, and it's a completely different feeling because it is true. I have certainly done that. Okay? And, and I've learned over the years to recognize truth in my life because lies and untruths and illusions and negative energies really weaken us. But truth makes us stronger. Okay, try that sometime. Give, tell yourself a complete, flat-out lie. And how do you feel about that? Where do you feel about that? And then tell yourself something that's true about yourself. And recognize, again, how does that sit in you? Where does that sit within you? Where does it connect in you? But many people look for truth outside themselves as if they're part of the cast of the X-Files. You know, you know, the truth is out there. But yet, few people look within. And perhaps this is a very daunting task for, for many, many people because they don't really know who they are, let alone know how to ask the right questions. And this is not a fault issue. This is not a shame or blame or, or guilt, you know, issue. It's, it's just looking in all the right places, learning to recognize truth. And the truth is, you are more than what you have become, even up to this moment in your life. In fact, you ain't seen nothing yet. You are the truth, regardless of circumstances, situations, and experiences. And please, don't settle for another person's definition of you or settle for their expectations of you that do not resonate within. It doesn't resonate in you because it's not your truth. Your truth is ultimately who you are as a soul.
And don't limit to yourself to anything less than that. Because when we discover our authentic self and we start living as an authentic self, we assume then that our authenticity is going to shield us from negative reactions from others. You know, this is just something we take for granted, you know, but, and this is to be expected at times because along with authenticity, it's also going to come our authentic energy. And this is going to create a certain effect in, in other people, I guarantee you. Some will be drawn to it, others will not. Okay, some people will be ready for it, others will not. But regardless, when you no longer need to put on, let's say, an emotional or psychological, even a spiritual mask, your authentic self will no longer be affected by the opinions and reactions and expectations of others. And when others cannot affect your authentic self, well, then the people who are trying to influence you in a very negative way, it's not going to go so well for them. Yeah. I've seen this many times in certainly, I would say, family dynamics. When one member of the family begins to change and other family members, you know, they, they start to scramble to counterbalance the effect or they struggle, you know, then to maintain the dysfunction that they grew accustomed to. You know, they may they may feel intimidated because what authenticity demands of them. You know, they may feel disappointed. They may feel betrayed or hurt or rejected. Okay. And when it comes right down to it, again, our fullest potential is waiting. It's waiting. Again, we came into the world with everything that we need for this world. And yet we're willing to not live up to that potential. What gets in the way? Is it ego? Pride? Arrogance? Unforgiveness? Anger? Rage? Wounds? An unwillingness to forgive? An unwillingness to release those wounds? Are we unwilling to be released? from deep-seated burdens or released from guilt and shame that have been imposed on us by society or family members, or even be released from family secrets that you vowed to carry and perhaps vowed to carry them to your grave. You see, all in all, humanity doesn't know that we are more than the body. We're not the body, we're not the mind and the intellect. We are independent. We're not tied to that tree like the donkey of, of last week. You know, We are the truth. There are no restrictions on us. You know, no bondages. So even if this body dies, we will not die. And the, the Vedanta philosophy tells humanity that the body and the soul are, are not one. They're different. And yet we're so limited in our understanding that we are bound by what we see and feel and hear and taste and touch that we think that that's all there is. 
and we end up believing that illusion that we are limited or restricted simply because we are told by another, well, that you are. And we just kind of swallow that hook, line, and sinker. And unfortunately, we take that on as our identity, and we act accordingly, believing that this is as good as it's going to get. You know, I see quite a bit of people in counseling who identify themselves with their problems and their illnesses, and they are not aware of being more than what they have become so far in life. So they often accept this distorted template that has been laid over top their lives, what has been superimposed on them. You know, much like the donkey believes it's tied to the tree just because he saw its owner go through the motions. Okay. And as a result, people tend to beat themselves up for making the same mistakes over and over again, you know, in choices and relationships and so forth. Yet in the story, you know, the donkey that is free all the time thinks that it's tied. And similarly, on a metaphysical level, we who are souls believe that we're tied to the body, that our soul is somehow captive. And that seems to be, you know, enough for people to say, well, that's it. You know, and at a, on a physical level, we are bound to an endless desire to acquire things such as beauty or spiritual experiences or knowledge or wealth or fame and success, as well as the enjoyment of those acquired objects, um, you know, and the avoidance of negative things in our lives, you know, like we, we avoid bad relationships or we don't want the financial problems and so forth. And, and as a result of this, we believe we have to find the key to unlock that prison door so we can, you know, step out fully. And that key, so to speak, you know, we might be convinced, well, that, that key has to be, I need to make more money. Or, you know, I need to have more passion in my life. Or I need true love or, or any other desire out there. But what if we're already free? What if there's no need for a key? What if there's no rope and no tree? What if the illusion of being in prison is an illusion, you know, and, and I don't want to come across as one who is minimizing another person's pain or problems or struggles, but just imagine how you and I can be empowered if we truly saw ourselves as the solutions to our problems by removing the layers of conditioning or these imaginary ropes that kept us tied to our problems we realize that in spite of shifting circumstances and, and other situations in our lives, we are the truth. Is this true or is that true? No, we're, we are the truth. We are the truth. We experience it all, but we are the truth. We need to recognize that, you know, it, it's just what are we tying ourselves to? You know, what keeps us bound to or are in toxic relationships? What keeps us thinking that there's nothing more to us because, well, we've been told this about ourselves all our lives. And maybe by looking at ourselves more closely, examining our motives and assumptions and limited perspectives, 
we just might realize the first step towards lasting transformation is to acknowledge the illusion of oppression is all in our minds. What are we telling ourselves about ourselves? And what should we be telling ourselves about ourselves? So in other words, we might be in a physical prison, but if we find our true nature, that we are eternal souls, that no amount of earthly limitation can convince us that we are then limited, inadequate, or restricted. Well, I'm Dr. James Hauck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. I'm so glad you were able to take time out today and, and spend this time just listening to this broadcast. Please drop me a line and let me know what you think, and uh, if you have any questions and so forth. But um, please keep in mind that there is more to you and to more to me than what we have even realized uh, today. But may you have the courage to find the truth, which is you. Take care. God bless. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to reclaimingauthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.